And at this time, I want to welcome you to another exciting broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Anchor FM and Spotify and some of the other platforms that we're broadcasting on here at Sunshine USA. I'm Warren Landis, and I'm your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. Uh, many of you know that currently we're in Second Peter, and in the broadcast today, we're going to be getting into uh, the third and final chapter of Second Peter. And even though this is the final chapter, I think you're going to find that Peter has a right good bit to say. And we want to think about not only what Peter had to say, but how it applies uh, to you and me uh, today. So I want you to get out your Bibles and turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 3. And in just a few moments here, we're going to be starting with uh, verse number one. And it says here, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both what which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance, that ye be mindful of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles, of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking in their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, that is, in other words, since the Old Testament fathers died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they were willing for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, whereby the world was then, the world that was then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and against the perdition of ungodly men. He says in verse 8, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now that, of course, is uh, verse number 9, which is a long verse. But uh, let us think what Peter is saying here up to this point. Peter is talking about uh, the last days when men will uh, come and they will be scoffers. They will be scoffers at the things of God. They will be scoffers at the Bible itself. And you don't have to go very far in this old world to see people like that. Um, <clears throat> because we have a world today which is increasingly violent. Uh, one of the things I do every day, I mean, it's not that I love to do it, it's just that I try to keep informed as to what's going on. I watch the news every day. Now, I don't watch the news as much as I used to 
because the older I get, the more I believe that <laughs> this world is going to end sooner than we think it is. And of course, my body is getting older. I know that I don't have as many years yet to live as I've already lived. Amen. But on the other hand, I do try to keep up with what's going on in this world. Uh, one of the things that's important here is, you know, as Christians, we should vote in every election. But in order to vote, we have to educate ourselves as to what's going on. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think God likes some of the things going on in America today. I mean, you turn on the news and I find myself shocked in some ways at what's going on. I see things happening today that I never thought I would see happen in my lifetime. And yet, here it is happening today. But one of the things that Peter points out here is that these last days will bring forth scoffers. And, and you know, it's not just the unbeliever who is making headlines. It's sometimes people that profess to be Christians. Uh, I was watching a preacher preach on television just this morning. And uh, he made a very startling statement. He said that about half of all Protestant ministers who were in the seminary admit that they don't fully believe about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now, to me, part of the miracle of Christmas is the virgin birth. And, of course, nothing can be more fundamental for us as Christians than the virgin birth. It's, it's like one of my professors in college pointed out. The virgin birth is the only way you can explain Jesus. Because, you see, had Jesus been born of an earthly father, then Jesus would have been born into this world with a sin nature. And therefore, he would have to have died on the cross for his own sins, and therefore, he wouldn't have been qualified to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. And so, the virgin birth of Jesus is a matter of great importance. It's fundamentally important. To the point where I would say someone who denies the virgin birth probably is not even saved. What does that tell me about some of these young seminary students? If they don't believe in the virgin birth, they probably have never come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And yet here they are, unfortunately, preparing for the ministry. And no telling how many people they're going to lead astray because of their refusal to believe in the virgin birth. Uh, one of the things I noticed even back years ago when I was in the seminary is that every time we came to a miracle, somebody wanted to explain it away. Someone wanted to come up with some kind of human, scientific, mathematical explanation as to how this miracle happened. Why can't we learn to take miracles at face value? <laughs> if the Bible tells us, for example, that Jesus turned the water into wine, why can't we just accept that rather than to try to analyze that? If the Bible says Jesus was born of a virgin, which he was, then why should we have a problem believing that? 
Why can we not just accept that for what it is? Amen. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Now this underscores what I've said pretty much all of my ministry. The Lord has a sense of timing that is totally different than us. You know, for the Lord, there's no difference between a thousand years and 24 hours. It says here, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. You see, the Lord is not slow keeping his word. When God says that he's going to do something, when God says that something is going to happen, we can mark it down, it's going to happen. But it may not happen as fast or as quickly or as instantly as we would like to see. It says, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God is patient. God is long-suffering. It is not the will of God for anybody to die and go to hell. When somebody dies and goes to hell, it is in spite of all that God has done to keep that from happening. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God doesn't want anybody to go to eternity without Christ. But, you know, it happens because people choose not to believe. Now, God gives you the freedom not to believe if you don't want to believe, but you also have to accept the consequences that go with that. The consequence of not believing in this case is that you spend eternity in this terrible, awful place that the Bible calls hell. He says that it's not God willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance. Now, you know, that's a pretty good word. We have some people today that refuse to believe in the importance of repentance. Uh, if they could take a word out of the Bible, it would be repentance. But repentance is actually a good, sound biblical word. To repent means literally to change your mind. For example, when you get saved, you no longer think the same way that you did before you got saved. There are some things, for example, that you're going to fall in love with doing after you get saved. Whereas before you got saved, you wouldn't have spent a second doing it. You take the drunk atheist who gets saved. Before they get saved, they don't want anything to do with the church. After they get saved, man, they can't go to the church enough. They want to be in church every time the doors are open. Amen. What about reading your Bible? An atheist, before they get saved, man, they don't want to read the Bible. To them, it's just another book. But you know what? They will want to read that Bible after they've gotten saved and come short of the glory of God. After they have, or I should say, once they've gotten saved and come to know Christ as Savior, they want to read that Bible all they can. 
Now, when it comes to repentance, let's understand salvation is by grace through faith. To say that I believe in repentance doesn't mean that I believe that people can earn their way into heaven. No. The Bible makes it very abundantly clear. We are saved by grace through faith. But repentance comes along because when we get saved, we should have a desire to turn our lives around. Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. Amen. And then Peter talks, starting in verse 10, Peter talks about the day of the Lord. Peter says in verse 10, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the element shall melt with fervent heat, that you earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. Now the day of the Lord that Peter is referring to here is not the rapture. It is not the rapture. It is the second coming of Christ. And the two events are separate. You see, the rapture will come just before the start of the great tribulation period. After the rapture, we will have seven years of great tribulation. And by the way, I believe that we as Christians will go through no part of the tribulation period. And that's why I don't take a lot of stock as to what's going to happen during the tribulation period, because I'm not going to be here. And if you're a Christian, I don't think you're going to be here either. But then at the end of the tribulation period, Christ will come back. And that's when the Bible says all hell will break loose. The enemies of God will be soundly defeated. The enemies of Israel will be soundly defeated. And once again, Israel will be the people that God intended them to be all along. Israel will experience national repentance. They will realize that Jesus Christ really is who he said he was, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and they will believe that he was the promised Messiah. They will regret that they ever had anything to do with the, the crucifixion of Christ, and they will fall in love with the Lord. And this will usher in a thousand years called the millennial reign. Christ will rule and reign upon the earth for a thousand years. Amen. And then what happens after that thousand years? Well, the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll wait till another broadcast to get into all that. Now, by the way, I do believe that we'll be present during the millennial kingdom. We, as Christians, will be present in the millennial kingdom. Because we will come back to this earth with Christ at his advent, his second advent, at the end of the millennial period. And then, verse 11, it says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, when it talks about holy conversation, the word conversation here does not refer to speech. It doesn't refer to any kind of dialogue, but rather the word conversation uh, talks about a way of life or a way of life or a lifestyle. 
our lifestyle as Christians, our lifestyle as believers, ought to be affected by the fact that we're children of God. He says in verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now that new heaven and new earth, I believe, will take place following the millennial reign of Christ. And then, starting with verse 14, Peter gets into final exhortations. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot or blemish. Now, once again, this is an admonition to us as believers to live like believers, to live the kind of lives that we know as Christians we need to be living. Amen? Amen. And, and not to live the way that we had been living before we got saved. You know, it, it's sad to say uh, many people get saved and that's also where they stop growing. But it's the will of God that we grow in grace. In fact, um, let's see. Um, I believe that is um, mentioned. Well, I can't find it now. But anyway, we are to grow in grace. I think maybe he has something to say about that toward the end of the chapter. Yeah, here it is. Verse 18. It's the last chapter, the last verse, the last verse of chapter 3. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, look, Peter says God wants you to grow in grace now. Please understand here that growing in grace is not an instantaneous thing. Sometimes one of the mistakes that we make as Christians is that we expect a young Christian to instantly become everything they ought to be. And it just doesn't happen that way. It never happens that way. There has to be a time of growing. It's just like uh, when a newborn babe is born into this world. That newborn babe is very dependent on somebody else for survival. That baby really can't do anything for themselves. They have a lot of growing to do, and it's not going to happen overnight. Now, I say that on one side of the coin. Now, those of you that have reared a bunch of kids, you also know that kids have a way of growing up before you know it. Amen? Amen. But a young baby born into this world is going to initially be very dependent on someone else for survival. Now, hopefully, if they have any kind of normal body at all, they will continue to grow and develop. And they will become intelligent men and women down the road with the ability to do great things. But there has to be a period of growing. Now, unfortunately, as I alluded to a while ago, many people get saved, and that's also where they stop growing. They don't grow. 
so that they're not much more along spiritually now than they were 40 or 50 years ago when they got saved. That's sad. On the other hand, I've seen some Christians who got saved, and man, I tell you, they just grew up rapidly in the Lord. And seemingly in no time at all, they were spiritual giants. And then Peter says to him, be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Then he says in verse 17, now I know I'm skipping around here. He says in verse 17, Yet therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness. Now that's why you and I, as Christians among other things, we need to go to a good church. A good church where you and I can experience fellowship with other believers. Believers who believe as we do. They will help strengthen us spiritually and we hopefully will help strengthen them spiritually. And I think it makes a difference too who you hang around with. Now, if you as a Christian are constantly hanging around ungodly people, guess what? Pretty soon you're going to become a pretty ungodly person yourself. You become so much like the people that you choose to hang around with. Now, I want to be careful here because obviously we have to mingle with the unsaved in order to lead them to the Lord. But we should never compromise what we believe and we should never live in a way that displeases God. So we have to communicate with those who are unsaved. But we don't have to spend a lot of time with them. Because if we do, then it's going to cause us to become more and more like them. And... Um, so we have a lot of good stuff here in chapter 3. And this is the last of what Peter has to write. Now, you know, it's interesting to note here, Peter didn't write near as much of the New Testament as Paul did. Now, Paul wrote 13 or 14 books in the New Testament, depending on whether or not you think he wrote uh, Hebrews. Now, I personally believe Paul wrote 14 books in the Bible because, yes, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Now, once again, that's a sermon for another day. I'm not going to get into the details of that, but, yeah, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. And so that means that uh, Paul wrote 14 books in the New Testament. Peter writes only two, First and Second Peter, and they are rather short books at that. Now, let me ask you a, a question. This is a little bit of a brain teaser. And I'm not necessarily saying that there's a right and wrong answer here. It's just a question that hopefully will provoke a little bit of thought and maybe even conversation. Who wrote more of the New Testament, Luke or Paul? Now, I already said, now, Paul wrote 14 books, 
in the New Testament. And I also believe he wrote Hebrews. Now Luke, on the other hand, he only wrote two books, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Some have said that Luke wrote the only gospel with the sequel, with Acts being the sequel. But even though Luke only wrote two books, we know that both Acts and the Gospel of Luke are very lengthy books, very detailed books. And somebody says if you did a word count, you could say that Luke wrote more words in the New Testament than Paul did. Now, I'll be honest with you, I haven't counted all the words that Luke wrote, and I haven't counted all the works, words that Paul wrote. That's why I can't tell you conclusively that there's a right or wrong answer here. But it's something to think about. Amen. <laughs> well, what are we going to preach about next time? I don't know. My suspicion is that I will be preaching uh, on the topic of Christmas the next one or two broadcasts, at least the next broadcast, and probably the next couple of broadcasts, I'll be speaking on the subject of Christmas. I mean, after all, you know, it is Christmas time, and I think that would only be appropriate. But I think you'll find that any good Christmas sermon is also a year-round sermon. For one thing, we don't know when Christ was born. The probability is Christ was not born on December 25th. It just happens to be the time of the year that we celebrate Christmas. Many believe it was more likely in the spring. A few believe it was in the fall. Now, I'm convinced it doesn't really matter, in one sense of the word, when Christ was born, but... It is important, the fact that he was born, and that, as I said earlier, he was born of a virgin. That is important. Amen. And the story of Jesus is one that should be preached and taught for the whole year, and not just at Christmas time. Amen. <laughs> now, you know, I, I, I heard about, not too long ago, I heard about the fact that... Uh, some preachers have a tough time this time of year. They have a tough time because of the fact that uh, they're not sure what to preach on and how to preach on it, referring to Christmas. I mean, some preachers, they preach the same Christmas story every year. And other preachers are desperately searching for maybe different ways to tell that same Christmas story every year. <laughs> so it's a struggle. It's not as easy as you think it would be. But I do think it's important for us as Christians to think about the true meaning of Christmas. I mean, think about the true meaning of Christmas. Some people get depressed and discouraged this time of year because they don't have uh, enough money to go Christmas shopping with. Well, let me tell you something, folks. The real meaning of Christmas has nothing to do with Christmas shopping. It has everything to do with recognizing that this is the time of the year that we celebrate the birthday of Jesus. Now, once again, let me give you another brain teaser to think about. 
when we talk about Christmas being the birthday of Jesus, what do we mean? Do we mean this is the beginning of Jesus' existence? Well, the Bible makes it clear that's not true because we have a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us Jesus was present at the creation of the world. And Jesus was also involved in the creation of the world. And so Christmas is by no means the beginning of the existence of Jesus. Because you see, the Bible teaches us that Jesus has always been. And he always will be. There's never a time when he wasn't. That's another brain teaser for you to think about. Amen. Well, if you have any Bible study questions or comments, if you have any prayer requests, the best way to do that is to contact me by email, my email address. I'm going to give you two email addresses. You could use either one. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. And the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com, all lowercase. And I'll be glad to answer your Bible study questions. I'll be glad to pray with you over any prayer requests that you have. And if you give me permission, I'll be glad to share your prayer request with our unseen, unnumbered radio audience. And I don't know about you, but I would be encouraged knowing that Christians all over America and Christians all over the world are praying for whatever needs that you have. I would find that very strengthening, very encouraging. Okay? <laughs> okay. Well, the other thing you could do is tell others about this Internet broadcast. You might want to tell your friends how they can tune in, because chances are, if you enjoy listening to Sunshine USA, you know other people that would also enjoy listening to Sunshine USA if they only knew about it. Amen? Amen. So you could be the best advertising this ministry has. Amen. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye, God bless you, and I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.